Hey everyone, this is Josh Hallman, and you're listening to the Beyond Mars podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders in aerospace, aviation, and defense. Today, our guest is the one, the only, Megan Boyd, Division Operations Manager at Parker Aerospace. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about a, a couple of things. And like we talked to all our leaders, the first is, you know, you're working at Parker Aerospace right now. How did you get there? What was the road that got you to your current role at Parker Aerospace? The second is we can talk about some projects or some cool things that Parker is currently doing. And lastly, we'll talk about trends and what you're seeing uh, today, this year, and maybe even beyond. Um, so let's dive in. So Right now, you're a division operations manager at Parker Aerospace. How, how did you get there? What was the road? So my road is quite different than most people. Um, I was uh, initially in the quality organization for about nine years with Parker. Um, and so that really taught me a lot about um, our organization and the requirements and what's exactly expected of the products that we make and how important it is. Right. But, but over time, I realized that that just wasn't something that I wanted to continue with, that I wanted to stick with. Um, and I was looking for that next avenue. I was looking for that next something that was difficult and complicated, but still tied to what I was doing before. So I, I did a stint outside of aerospace, but within the, the major Parker organization and had the opportunity to be a plant manager for an industrial part of the company. Um, and so that was my first stint in operations. And, um, I definitely had the whole fire hose, you know, drinking from the fire hose, just drowning you. Yeah, that absolutely happened. Um, and I learned more in that two year stint than I probably have in my entire career. Um, just because it was so, so much so fast. Yeah, so I, I worked there and really got my my feet wet with lean and operations. And um, I had managed people before, so that wasn't like something new from that respect. But the people aspect of it is actually one of the huge reasons why I wanted to stay within a leadership type role rather than an engineering uh, individual contributor kind of role. And specifically because I always felt that with a, a person, there's no guidebook. There's no manual that comes with them to tell you that this is what you do to make this person happy or to work harder or to inspire them. And I love that. I love that every person is a, is a puzzle to figure out and to, to work with. So that's just something in my career I really enjoyed is that people aspect. And sometimes it does drive you insane and crazy, but um, for the most part, it, it's fun. So, uh, but, but my heart after doing that in industrial Aerospace, or sorry, not aerospace, the industrial plant manager role for, for that time period, um, I realized my heart was really still in aerospace. Um, and something about the products, something about what we do really just, just tugged on my heart. Um, I remember being on an airplane uh, just, just for a regular trip, and I was working on the industrial side at that time. So, but seeing the plane take off, being on there and it was an Airbus plane. So it makes this funny noise when you land. It's not when you land, but when you're on the tarmac, it's like they're, they're cranking the fuel between the wings, the different tanks. Mm -hmm. And it's this horrible sound. 
And I walked up to the pilot and I was like, Hey, what is up with this? What pump is making that noise? Please don't tell me it's a Parker pump. And he decided something, but he was just sort of like, wait, what, you know about that? You know, like the wings are actually the fuselage. It's like, yes, I do. And that kind of reminded me, it's like, oh my gosh, my passion is really there. So, um, I ventured out, looked for an opportunity back within the aerospace realm. I switched divisions and was fortunate enough that they both happened to the two divisions I worked for within the aerospace side, they both happened to be in Irvine. So completely different buildings, completely different product lines, um, and different leadership, but, uh, it was great to have that experience and have that still close to home opportunity. Um, and so I went into a value stream manager role. And so I was basically given my own kind of product line at that point in time, and it was for the repair station. So primarily military repair station for Parker. And so that was a great opportunity to learn more about aerospace and operations and how it's quite different than the industrial side. But I was able to take the good things from the industrial side. I learned they have a lot more speed. Aerospace is slow. It's Um, slow. It's very slow. (laughs) And so I was able to kind of use that to my advantage um, within the repair station. Um, And so that's been that's been a great opportunity. And things have come, you know organizations have changed. They've, you know, done reorgs. They split the division at one point, um, all sorts of things. And so I've found myself now in this uh, division operations role, uh, which actually I love because I love being on the division staff because it's a, it's a cross-functional team that's really creating the strategy and the plans for the three to five years. And what are we doing from a whole perspective, mm-hmm. not just your own individual niche, right? So there's an engineering leader on the team. There's a quality leader on the team. There's marketing, right? And all of us are working together for the overall purpose of the division. So it's great to learn what, what they have to work on and what they feel is important. And it just makes me a better leader for the organization overall, kind of assuming some of that, that intel. That's really cool. I do want to step back just a little bit because this is a phenomenal story. We all started as engineers. I started as engineers. What was that change in you saying, I need to, I want to get out of, or quality too, right? So engineering quality. And so what was that that you were seeing? Because there may be people listening. They're just starting out in their career. There's something itching in the back of their, their brain and saying, I want a little bit more. I want something else. What, what was that for you? And what made, what was the push for you to get out of that and and move on to something else? Yeah. So the engineering side of it was almost a haphazard for me. So I, I had an interesting background, I guess, when going to college and such. So I had a math undergrad degree and, um, the, I realized I didn't want to be a teacher. So I, I, I kind of found myself in engineering because it was technical math oriented, which I was good at, but it had applicability and context to it and and tangible that I could touch what we were actually doing because mathematics, when you get in the high levels of college, it's like really theoretical and abstract. And it's like, where's the, what is the purpose of this? (laughs) So, so the engineering just really fell in my lap as something that was perfect for me and something that I can make a career out of and go into, but being in engineering, um, I think I could have absolutely 
done a great job of being like a design engineer or something. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but the, the leadership side of things called me, I guess that's, that would be the the difference growing up. Like I, I definitely had leadership roles um, in high school and in college and just kind of naturally kind of got pulled into those things. Um, whether I identified that myself or not, but maybe I would get tapped on the shoulder to, to apply to something or to, to work on a project, right. And be the leader of that project. So really what I described earlier about the people being the puzzle and not have the manual, that was really the piece that held me as a, as a leader and to go away from engineering. Um, and so I never felt that I had like that strong technical background. Cause I didn't have the undergrad engineering degree. Um, I just had, I, sorry, I skipped that part. Um, I got a master's at UCLA in engineering. So that's how I ended up in that field, but I didn't have that strong foundation. I felt like I kind of had the window dressings of engineering, but didn't have the foundations of it. Hmm. So um, it just didn't really, I I didn't really resonate with some of the engineering uh, questions that were being asked at work and kind of felt like, okay, I can talk their lingo, but I don't really, I don't think I really, (laughs) I don't feel like I fit. I, 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 yeah. The one fascinating thing, the jump that you make from your engineering, you go your quality yeah, and then you jump to plant manager. Yes. So how did you get there? Because that's a, that's a big jump. I mean, going overseeing multiple. Yeah. So how did that, how did that happen? I, let's see. So I wasn't just like a quality engineer at the time. I had engineering leadership roles. Um, I had managed um, inspectors for several years. I had managed quality engineers for several years. Um, I had transferred into a quality manager of the entire repair station um, at a, a different division than I'm at now. And so I was, I kind of had a strong background of leadership. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I had done final inspection for years really tied me closely to operations because everything that comes from operations has to go through quality before it gets out the door. Yep. Right. And so I knew the, the impact, I knew the stresses that operations gets at month end. I knew the requirements that they had to meet these quotas, right. For sales. Um, so I kind of had that perspective already in my back pocket. Um, and then as well, I was coming from the aerospace side, which uses a lot of the Parker techniques, uh, maybe not techniques, but tools, like there's some, every company, right. Has their little toolbox of ways they want you to kind of for, for like a cell on the shop floor, how you, how you display your metrics for that shell and how you show that they're improving or, and how the structure. Right. And so the aerospace side used those structures really well. And I was going to take that and and add that to the industrial side. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of that synergies that I brought over that maybe they weren't used to. Um, and then I think, honestly, I really think that the, the guys who were making the decisions, they took a big chance on me is my big impression on the whole thing. So you, you jump to plant manager, you do value stream. Yeah. Now you're working more at a division level. Uh, let's jump over to Parker Aerospace. Yeah. Maybe not everyone knows who Parker Aerospace is. Um, I, I'm, I'm slightly familiar with them, but just kind of walk us through what your company's about. Uh, do you make products? Do you offer services? Um, who are, you don't have to name who your customers are, but what, 
what kind of customer do you have? Like, is it individuals uh, or, or large companies? Um, just to give kind of the, the forest that we're in and then we, we can kind of dive in on some cool projects or project you guys are working on. Yeah, um, no, Parker's probably not somebody that most people have heard of. So it's kind of one of those aerospace organizations that is under the radar a little bit. So main customers though are Boeing, Airbus on the commercial side, right? Gulfstream, Bombardier, all those major players. Um, and then we have a strong military presence as well. So U.S. government, of course, is going to be one of our major customers. Um, and then the Lockheeds and the Skorskys. Um, so any of those major aerospace organizations that you're familiar with, we supply them the hardware that they need to make their product successful. So one of the taglines that Parker's using right now is enabling engineering breakthroughs that lead to a better tomorrow is the tagline. I'm very impressed. I was able to quote that. But if you think about it, the enabling part, it kind of sounds a little wonky at first, right? But in theory, that's really what we do. We don't build the planes. We build the critical hardware that you need so that your plane flies, Mm. right? So, so, and there's several divisions, right? So there's a wheel and brake division, kind of important on aircraft, right? Um, there's fluid systems. And so they're, uh, they're in the, um, in the fuselage. Um, they've got a lot of metering type units. They've got a lot of valves, um, that actually go in the fuel, but then also in the engines for the pneumatic flow. Um, and then the product that I work on, um, is the flight controls division. And in my opinion, it's the coolest product line. Um, why is it the coolest? Well, let me tell you. Um, so actually, if, you, if you've ever flown a plane and you looked out, or okay, flown on a plane mm-hmm. um, and looked out the window, you see the, the wings move, yep. right? So you see the flaps come up. You see, if you actually look out towards further out, you'll see the ailerons move just slightly. They like just barely move. Um, you'll see the, when you land, you see the, on the engines, the... Um, Oh, the thrust reversers open up so that the plane slows down. So any of those moving surfaces are moved by our products. Hmm. Um, and so actually in the military field, we are the number one flight control provider um, that exists in the market today. So, um, and I will say specifically, I work for the military flight controls division. So I am not all that familiar with the commercial side of the business, but the military side, which I think is even cooler, is, is something that, uh, that we do. So if you're thinking about any of those fighter jets that are flying around, you know, F-16s, F-18s, F-35s, pick, pick an F number. It's our parts that are making those, those, those planes fly properly and at the speeds and bringing them home safely as well. That's awesome. um, so it's really, it's a really exciting product. Um, but with that comes a lot of extra requirements um, to make sure that they are safe because they are safety critical hardware as well as um, uh, demanding customers too. That's really cool. So uh, you guys work on everything commercial to defense um, mm-hmm. and probably beyond that. Anything like uh, Richard Branson just flew his uh, plane up to, to space and back. Do you, you guys dabble in, in some, with, with some of those? We do have a history and a heritage of um, we were on the Apollo Apollo missions back in the day. It used to be a part of Parker that was very important. 
Um, they sold it off at one point in time, but there's employees that I've had work for me that will talk about the challenger mission mm-hmm. and the, the one that went wrong. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and the, the, the inspectors came and asked them questions, um, and how they felt, you know, so much passion and like responsibility for the product that they put out there. Um, as well as there's some famous quote about when the, the astronauts from Apollo 13, they call, you know, and they're like, Hey, you know, Houston, we got a problem. Um, there's also something about that when they finally came up with the solution, they, they physically say cycle the Parker valve. Hmm. And that's our, that was our part right back in the day. Yeah, that's really cool. But, um, so when they had this last year, they had the a 10, no, it can't be 10 years. <laughs> that's not going to work. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was a huge, what was it? Probably a hundred years then. 50, uh, 50. 50, you're gonna have to well, take, take the so, average 50 years, 50 years um, for Apollo. And so we all got t-shirts and stuff and learned that's really cool. So, uh, you guys do a lot of products, any cool projects or initiatives you guys are working on, um, that you're allowed to disclose. Of course not. I can't talk yeah. about all those things. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I mean, we're, we're always looking for that, that next business venture, whether it be with the, with the military, um, or on our commercial division, they're always kind of thinking about that new R and D opportunity out there that exists and how do they, how do we make our parts lighter, um, and new technology? So, yeah, I'm trying to think overall though, I think mostly what I work on being in operations is, is less about product specific. It's more about how do we improve our processes? Hmm. so that we can get more units out the door at a less cost at a faster rate. Um, we use a lot of lean initiatives, um, like the, the Toyota lean initiatives. That's a big deal for Parker. And we've got a lot of Kaizen's that happen. And actually some, some of the official Shinjujitsu, say that right. Guys from Japan come out and actually participate in the Kaizen's. Um, and they'll tell you, you, can't do anything right. It's great. Um, but they push, they push you to think better and harder and do things differently. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of what we do is really try to tweak our processes and making sure that we're, we're meeting our customer demand and getting the products out the door on time. It's really cool, which is a great segue into trends, um, you know, for the rest of this year, maybe next year and beyond for your world. Um, what, what, what changes do you see uh, for the better, maybe not for the better. Um, just want to know your, your insights and what you're seeing. Yeah. So there's definitely a couple of trends that are, are going on and I'll, I've got two specific ones that I think kind of, um, relate. So a lot of the, so I'm on the repair side, so I don't necessarily deal with the brand new parts, right? So it's, I'm more like the, the dealer that you take your car into and, you, you want your car fixed and, and you're not just going to the mom and pop shop around the corner. You're going to the dealer. Right. So, so that's my product line and, and what I focus on. We do both sides at our organization. Um, but so, so some of the trends there that we're seeing are that the customers are asking for different, different contractual requirements now and a different mm-hmm. sort of um, revenue stream. Um, so for example, normally it would have been, here's my one unit, please fix it. Give them a cost really just like your, your auto mechanic, right? Yeah. You give us your part. We're going to tear it apart, tell you what's wrong, patch it up, give you a quote. You tell us yes or no, we'll send it back out. 
Well, now what we're seeing is a trend of moving towards kind of contracts that are time on wing. Like customers don't necessarily want that specific one back. They want their product to stay on the plane longer, right? They don't, they don't want to have to pull it off. Mm. They don't want to have to pay you each time you have to fix it, right? They want you to come up with a better way to keep that thing good, to keep it in the air. So they incentivize you in different ways, right? They pay you differently rather than, um, rather than, um, the kind of pay by the drink is the alternative, right? So, um, I know Rolls Royce has done this very well with all of their engines, um, that they've actually come up with this, this process that they're using with, um, with like Boeing and all the airlines that they actually provide the service rather than fixing the engine itself. It's more of a, it's a time on wing kind of contract. Mm. So it's just a different avenue and a lot more customers, even the military are heading down that path. So it's just making us as the, as the OEM, uh, come up with better ways for our products to improve their performance, improve their, their reliability, their functionality. Um, so it's, it's actually causing the right initiative, but it feels a little uncomfortable at first, right? So you're switching your mentality. Do you guys have to staff differently for that? Having technicians that are, I don't know, it might be the wrong way of describing this on at the hangars with whatever birds that would come in and you have to do servicing there instead of them taking the part off the plane, sending it to you in Irvine or wherever. Corona. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, but that's not, they, they still send it into us. Hmm. They, they're not, they're not, we're not in the hangars. We're not on the, on the tarmacs by any means. Um, but they're still tearing them apart and sending us our units to replace sort of fix. But then they expect that we've got almost like a surplus of material, Mm, um, at their location, ready to be put on wing when it's ready. Oh, got it. Right. When one comes off, they want to pop one right back on. Got it. So yeah, little, it's definitely different. I I, I got it now. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. It is. It's just different. <laughs> throwing us all fall for a loop a little bit. And then the other trend we're seeing right now, and this is actually more applicable to our current state uh, change of the presidency, right? Going from uh, yep, Republican president to a Democratic president and the budget for the military side mm-hmm. has been cut greatly, right? And so that with that shift, what happens is that they start to spend more on the repair side rather than buying spare parts. So we're just seeing a shift in that. And I'm assuming everybody else out there seeing the same kind of shift. It's nothing secret, but this happens all the time. Um, but it, it will fluctuate back and forth, whether uh, the government's buying spares to, to sit on a shelf and to refurbish their planes to kind of bring them up to speed, um, or they're going to be a little bit more cost-effective and they're saying, just, yeah, just go ahead and fix it and send it back. So that's kind of, those are kind of the two big things that we're seeing right now. Yeah. That's really cool. No, I, I love learning about different industries, um, whether in aerospace, commercial defense, you name it. Um, and what each business is dealing with and trends you're seeing behaviors change. You can have, you know, a pandemic, which changes how people, <laughs> uh, purchase things, service things, buy things. Um, and we're, as you're seeing in your own industry, different ways people are 
be doing B2B, purchasing uh, different contractual agreements um, or buying behavior. Well, um, Megan, thank you so much. Uh, I, I, I have loved hearing your story from wanting to be a teacher, learning math, to engineering, to quality, to uh, plant manager, all the way up to running uh, or, or leading in a division at a, at a division level, uh, Parker Aerospace, to living under the radar with with most uh, some of us lay people. Uh, but you know, you guys are are helping uh, the military and commercial um, airplanes uh, fly safely, get to and from wherever they, they need to go. Thank you so much. I I hope to have you on again or. or maybe later on, but I really enjoyed our time. So thank you. And I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, Josh. Glad to be here.